thank you for, for that. Not just the gift, but the show of your appreciation. And uh, I do feel it all the time. I'm thankful for it, for uh, God putting me in a place to, to minister such as this and uh, allowing us to, to function together and to uh, just persevere in his work of ministry. Now, John was saying in announcements that he often invites people to church, and I know that's true. You invite people and you don't always see them. You can't control that part of it. <laughs> what you can do is, is simply be faithful, continue to do that, and see how God, uh, you may one time see what God, how God works, and you may not see his working, but you know he's good, you know he's faithful, he's saving people, so we want to continue persevering in uh, giving that gospel out and inviting people to come. Okay, today we continue in our series. We're going to conclude Colossians. So our reading comes from Colossians chapter 4, the end of that chapter. And then we will follow up next week going into Philemon. So I can give you a homework assignment is read the entire book of Philemon. All 20-something verses, right? How many is it? 25. All right. Thank you. You can read those 25 and uh, um, we'll be uh, going through our series, Colossians, going into Philemon next week. So let's all stand now in respect of the reading of God's word. If you don't have your own Bible, Shame on you. Since we don't have any visitors today, I can say that, right? <laughs> Five, excuse me. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Tychicus will tell you all about our activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hier Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that, that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul... Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. May God give us understanding in this passage of Scripture. 
that we'll be preaching from this morning. Let's bow now in a, a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your grace throughout this week. We thank you for your provision, your blessing. And um, we just pray for that provision again. We continue, we are in continual need of, of your grace in our lives. We thank you for um, your work physically as well as your work spiritually in us, keeping us alive, keeping us functioning as you want us to function. We pray for uh, your people here, the physical well-being. We think of those who have been sick uh, in the past, in, recently in the past. We pray and thank you for your work and your healing in, in their lives. We thank you for each one here today, Lord. I thank you for the faithfulness of your people. I pray that that might continue. You might encourage our hearts through the uh, preaching of your word today. We also pray for Brian and for Heidi as they uh, labor at the Risen Hope, and we pray, Lord, that you would just bless the preaching of your word there in their ministry, and uh, that you would bring fruit um, as you desire from that work. Now, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our study in Colossians, we have seen it to be a Christ-centered book that focuses on Christ. We need to give our attention to him. We need to see him in every part of our lives. Specifically, we've been talking about salvation in every part of our, of our salvation. We see it as his work. We see him saving us as his work. And it focuses on who he is and what he has done that salvation part. We see our growth in him or that sanctification part as being dependent on him. It is, it is a surrender to him and recognizing that the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us is the one that we then are to live for and he gives us the strength to do that. And then we see that glorification part where we look forward to his return. In fact, that's part of what keeps us faithful and obedient to him as we know that his promise is yet to be completed and we look forward to that and so we live faithfully because of that. <clears throat> in the sanctification part, which is so much a focus uh, in Colossians, he talks about how we are to live um, in, in, just look at Colossians 2, verse 7 and 8. You see that it says there, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he talks about that growing in him. And what he brings to us, um, I don't know if we expected to see this, but we probably should expect to see that, that, that is, uh, we function in the body of Christ. That's important to our growth. Our connection with each other is important to that growth. So the Lord Jesus Christ works in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And then he works through us, through each other, to bring about the growth that, that uh, he desires. And so 
it's important that we be connected to one another. And I said all that to say, as Paul the writer concludes Colossians, he talks about those who are integral in his work, in his ministry, in his life. And so he mentions these people now at the end of his letter, Tychicus, Onesimus in verse 7, 8, and 9, Aristarchus in, in verse 10 of chapter 4, and uh, Mark and Justice and Epaphras, and each, each one of those individuals he's mentioned. We're going to mention a few more starting at verse, uh, verse 14 today, where he mentions Luke, he mentions Demas, he mentions the brothers of Laodicea, and Nympha, and he also mentions Ar verse 17, Archippus. So we're going to mention those today and see how they were, uh, how they ministered in Paul's life and were important to his work and ministry and important to other believers there as well. What should you take from this? Uh, you should take that, first of all, we've been given a, a, a model of faithfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ that is followed by many of those who worked with Paul. In some cases, we've been given a, a successful model. In other cases, we've been given a, uh, a poor or unsuccessful model. And both of those help to encourage us uh, in our walk. So we, we, it's good for us to see people who show us the right thing. It's also good for us uh, to see people who don't model the right thing because often we find ourselves in that category and we can be encouraged to not stay in that category. And so let's take a look at, at these two examples. The first one I want to look at is Luke himself. In verse 14, he's, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So he's sending greetings from Luke to the people he's writing in Colossae. And Luke is a part, a person who's a very important part of Paul's ministry team. Uh, Luke is mentioned uh, several times, actually, in the book of Acts, uh, and, and probably not as much as, as we would like because Luke is a humble person. He wrote Acts, and he doesn't speak so much of himself. But he is the writer of Acts. He's also a writer of the gospel with his name, the gospel of Luke. And so when you think about it that way, Luke is a prominent person in the New Testament. Think about uh, who were the prominent writers of the New Testament. In terms of volume, you'd have to think about Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament himself. We see the letters. Uh, we see Romans and, and all the letters, epistles to to the churches, except for um, um, the ones that were written, like Peter, we see that, First and Second Peter, and so forth. Um, and so he is the one who wrote the most volume, Paul is. The second one, probably next in line, will be the Apostle John. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote First, Second, and Third John. But what puts him, tips the scale for him as number two, would be Revelation. He wrote Revelation as well. Now, the third one in terms of volume and writing in the New Testament would be Luke. Think about Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Acts. So those are huge uh, volumes. So he's a very significant person 
in the writing of Scripture. He was on Paul's team. And it also tells us he's a physician. He says here, Luke, the beloved physician. Now, what's important about that? I like that, that Paul includes this title. It gives us a little bit more insight into Luke and how God uses people. Luke was instrumental in the missionary journeys that, that Paul went on. He was right there with Paul for most of those journeys. And yet we see that he had a regular occupation. That's to be something that we can relate to. When the gospel impacts your life, it doesn't mean that you have to stop being a school teacher or janitor or secretary or factory worker or or, or whatever labor position you have. It doesn't mean you have to quit that job and do something else. It simply means that as you do that job, you are now an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever you go and everywhere you go and whatever you do and everything that you do, you begin to represent Christ. You can't help but represent Christ because he shapes your whole life, your existence right now, and your future. And so you begin to do that. So Luke's example is that he was known as the beloved physician. Now, I don't know how the culture treated uh, physicians in that day, but I know in this day they're very well respected because we know a lot of training goes into that kind of position. And so we have a high regard for physicians uh, in, in our culture. We have a beloved physician in our own community here at Sweet Communion. So praise God for Dr. Dick. <laughs> Dr. Bill Dick, you know, we, he don't even require, we don't even call him doctor. We should, we could, and he is, but thank God for him. And so it says that in whatever position that you are, you can serve Christ. You can be a spokesperson for him, and, and, and certainly uh, I, I'm thankful. Bill Dick is one who has been a good example. He always, he, 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 uh, I love to hear his stories of, of his day-to-day -day activities when he comes in contact with a person. If you go to his, his, his office, uh, if he gives you uh, an eye exam, uh, he's going to talk to you about something. And if there's an opportunity, that, got, that conversation goes to the gospel. So I, I praise God for that. How do I know that? Not because I've done that. Of course, he's gonna, he knows me. But I know of people that I know who went to his office that he found out that I know him from talking to him. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's a great, a great uh, example and encouragement to us of how we can simply, wherever we are, um, speak the gospel to other people, whoever we come in contact with. So isn't it amazing how God spreads us out and puts us in different places and different uh, times, different occupations? You know, we used to think uh, sometimes if you listen to the world, you think you have to, you have to be a certain person to relate to people. First of all, let me say not one person is going to relate to every individual. So you don't have to try and be anything. Just be yourself and relate to people who God brings in contact with you and uh, you will do well. So Luke was an example to us, the beloved physician. Now, we also understand from Paul's writing here that Luke most likely was a Gentile. How do we know that? Well, because we, we see this um, in verse 14. You could, excuse me, in verse 
11 is actually where we're going to see it. But if you start at verse 10, he, he mentions Aristarchus, and then he mentions Mark, and then in verse 11, he, he mentions Justice. These three individuals, and then in verse 11, he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. So he's saying these three I just mentioned, Aristarchus, John Mark, and Justice, they have Jewish heritage. The other ones, verse 12, Epaphras, Luke would be included in that, Demas, are not. We can imply from what he just said about the other three that they're not. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, a couple things we can note is that Paul's team was diverse. We talk about diversity today, I think, in all the wrong reasons. Um, Paul's team was truly diverse. And it's, it's, why is it diverse? Why? Because the gospel demands it. The gospel is, di is diverse. Jesus sent his disciples out. He didn't say, go grab them folks that look like you from the same heritage as you and ignore everybody else. You know, he says, go into the world, start where you are, grab the folks that you communicate with, that, that you connect with, and then reach out from there until the whole world is reached with the gospel. And that's what the gospel does. So it includes, it, it is diverse by its very nature and by what God intends it to be. And so Paul and his ministry team reflected that. I praise God for that. He's teaching us that same way, that same thing as well. Milwaukee has been one of the most segregated cities in the nation. Why is that? I don't have time to even start there. But God's people and God's church in Milwaukee should not be. And praise God, here's an illustration, an example where it is not and is reaching out everywhere. If you're black, the people you work with or go to school with aren't all black. If you're white, the people that you inter interact with through the day aren't all white. If you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, the people that you interact with in this country, in this city, aren't all the same. You come across many types of people, and the gospel needs to go to all of those people and all those types. And God's work needs to reflect that. So Paul is simply saying, look, there are some in my team who have a Jewish heritage. God is using them. And there's some who are Gentiles, and God is using them. And we're working together for the sake of the gospel. One of the messages that we get from that. So we see Luke was probably um, a Gentile. Now let's go on. He's verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Now, we talked about Demas, and unfortunately, we talked about him as a quitter, and that's, that's what he was. He was with Paul's team here, but in 2 Timothy, we found that Paul said of Demas, he loved the present world, and he has forsaken, he deserted from Paul. And so we see that there he, he is... Noted there in uh, 2 Timothy as a quitter. Here he is part of Paul's team, and so he's faithful. Now what does that teach us? It's not just how you start. <laughs> it's how you end, right? If you're faithful now, good. Praise God. Continue. Continue. Live it out. Live it out. That, that's where we encourage one another, don't we? 
I know you encouraged me, and I hope I encourage you, and we encourage each other to continue on. Now, when we, when we look at, 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 at uh, Demas, we're reminded in this passage there were two who were quitters. The first one was Mark. In fact, they tell kind of a, a separate story, don't they? Mark started out, stopped. He started out with Paul in the first missionary journey. And then he, 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 he quit, went back home. And Paul says, I got no time for a guy who's not going to be faithful. I don't want him on my team if he's not going to be faithful. And now at this point, we see that Paul has, has included Mark in his references as one who was faithful. Verse 10, we see that. And in fact, he says, when he comes to you, um, I already gave you instructions about him. When he comes to you, uh, follow my instructions. In other words, encourage this brother. Take him in. Receive him. So Mark was one who started off good, fell off, and came back. Demas is one who started off good and then later on fell off. We don't hear anything else about him after that. And so we, we can encourage each other by saying, look, continue in the gospel. Continue in the gospel. Make it a point to be faithful. We saw that characteristic mentioned in, in uh, uh, earlier in verse 7 and 8 and 9 when we talk about Tychicus and Onesimus. They were faithful brothers. So we have an example. We also see that the Bible gives us examples of good and examples of not so good and lets us see and gives us, uh, kind of pulls the veil off so that we can see as believers, what the danger is. There's a danger of, of being unfaithful in a task and in a job. But we also see that if you have been unfaithful in the past, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. That's where, where Mark encourages us. <clears throat> There's two things that a quitter needs. Two things. One is rebuke. Yes, they need to be rebuked. Paul rebuked Mark in his very stance by saying, I don't need that kind of character in a person. I need faithfulness. The other thing that a quitter needs is encouragement. And sometimes we think the two are opposed to each other. In reality, they're not. In fact, I think the two, in this instance, come from the same person. The same person, Paul, who, who would not take Mark on his team and, and, and challenge Barnabas about that is the same person, Paul, now who receives Mark and takes him as, as his own and receives him as his team, encouraging him in the work. Now, in verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. We hear about the brothers at Laodicea. We talked about where Colossae is. It was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And Laodicea and Hierapolis were in that general vicinity. They were kind of like suburbs of each other, uh, small towns connected together. And so we see that the gospel had gone out to Colossae and also to the surrounding areas there. And that's how, as it should, as it should be, isn't it? 
And so Paul says, as, I send this, as he sends this letter to Colossae, he wants to encourage the other ones. Look what he says. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, Nympha then, uh, we're not told a lot about her. We know she's a female, first of all. We know she owns a home, and we know she's opened her home to the church, and it gives us indication that was the church at Laodicea. So Paul encourages the brothers there, and he acknowledges the one who used her home uh, to, to have a place for the church. Now, I've stated before that churches then did not have public buildings like we have today. Why? Because they were outlaws. <laughs> the, church, the church Christianity was not a recognized religion in, in, the, in, the, in the Roman uh, uh, world, the world that was room, ruled by the Roman government. And so they couldn't just buy a building like we buy today and, and, and function as a church. But what they did is they met together in their homes. And so somebody had to open their home to the church. Now, if you've ever invited somebody from church to your home, you have a little sense of what that's like. If you ever invited the whole church to your home, you have even more sense of what that's like. It's an extreme sacrifice. You might have to move some furniture around in your living room. You might get furniture that you gets used a little bit more often than you expected it to. You might have little kids running around in your backyard that you didn't expect them to. <laughs> they opened their home to the use of the church. It was quite a sacrifice on their part to do that. So we see, um, recognize in these brothers at Laodicea and recognize Nympha. Now I want to say even more about Nympha, um, not specifically, but in general. First of all, she was part of those who opened her home to the church. Last week when we talked about Mark, we talked about his mother Mary, how in Acts chapter 12 uh, we saw that the church met for prayer at her home. And so she was one who opened her home uh, to the church. We also see in, if I can skip down a little bit in Colossians here, um, in verse, we're in verse 16, or we were in verse 15, in verse 17, it says, Say to Archippus, or Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus was also one who was part of those who opened their home to the church. So let's skip down to him for a minute before we finish talking about uh, Nympha and her types. Um, turn to, Philippi excuse me, to Philemon. Philemon is right before Hebrews, right? Right before Hebrews, Philemon. We'll get into this next week, but let's talk a little bit about it. Verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, or Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. 
So Philemon was one Paul's writing to who was a believer. We believe that the next person mentioned, Aphia, is his wife. Mentioned she's a female. He says, our sister, Aphia, our sister. And Archippus, we believe to be their son. And the three of them together had their home, which they opened to the church in Colossae. So Philemon was one who opened his home with his family to the church in Colossae. Nympha was one who opened her home to the church in the surrounding area at Laodicea. And so what we see is God is using different people and they all give of themselves for the work of the ministry for, so the gospel could carry on and be lived out more and more. And my question to you is what are you doing? Are you involved in the gospel getting out in, in this community um, uh, and, and what are you doing for that? Are you involved in God's work here in the church? Are you involved in getting that gospel out to others? These individuals were involved in that. I want to go back to Nympha and talk about her because um, she, she's what I call a quiet faithfulness, a quiet faithfulness. There are many who are faithful in God's work, who don't get much mention. But without their faithfulness, it would be hard to see how that work will continue the way that it does. Nympha is one like that. What do I mean by that? She's a female who has given of herself for the work of the gospel. She's a quiet faithfulness. Um... There were several, there are several women in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, who faithfully served the Lord in some background areas or some quiet areas that, um, in fact, are very essential to the work of the gospel. Let me just point out how, how that happened. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Verse 1, 2, and 3. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3. And follow with me as I read. Are you there? Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Let's pause there. Speaking of Jesus, in his ministry, going throughout the area and taking the gospel there, to preach the gospel. And we see in order to do that, he had 12 men that he had chosen, right? 12 were with him. Let's go on. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Let me start with the last part. Many of them, in other words, this is just a, a short list. It's not all inclusive. But you notice the list is of women there. We know the 12 apostles, and we know the prominent role that they place and how they're named in Scripture. But there are some 
that are along with them who often serve kind of in the background. And look what it says there. Who provided for them out of their means. Now, that's a little surprising. That's a little different than the image that we often think from uh, the... Uh, the, the, the woman in the New Testament, this image is a woman that says who provides for them out of their means. In other words, these women took of their living and financially supported the work of God that Jesus and his disciples did. You remember the story of, 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 of Judas, or I can actually tell you the story of, of see if we can go through it. In John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You with me there? Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for, for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. Now, you remember that, that recall that story, right, what happened? Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus, and Jesus was there in their hometown. They were, I believe Jesus was in another house, not their house, but in their hometown of Bethany. It was at Simon's uh, house in Bethany. Other passages will, will tell us that. But while he was there, Mary took this very expensive ointment, this very expensive perfume, perfume and she spent it all on Jesus, right? Remember that. What happens afterwards is, is what I want to highlight. It says, um, verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, just about every time he mentioned Judas in Scripture, identifies him as the one who betrayed Jesus. He said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So he speaks up. And that this, this, this ointment, this perfume, we should have sold it and took the money. We could have had almost a year's worth wages out of this, and, and, and we could have ministered with it. Notice what it says, verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put, in, what was put into it. A point is that Judas was kind of the treasure along the, among the 12 disciples who took the gifts that were given to them for their living and it was known that he was, he was cheating. He was rigging the books, he was taking it for himself and, and spending it on himself and that's why he was upset with his gift. The point though, there were people and women predominantly who were supplying, doing a financial supply of God's work of Jesus and his disciples. 
Jesus, it was said about Jesus, he had no place to lay his head. He didn't own anything. You, under, you, you wonder, how did he survive? What did he eat? How did he live? He lived, Scripture informs us that there was a group of women predominantly who, who financed the work of the ministry. And this is an example of that being done. So back in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3. I don't know how far we got. The end of verse 1 says, And twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chisa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Notice it says, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's, Herod's household manager. So God had, had, had uh, impacted the hearts of people in all kinds of places, including prominent, in this case a prominent woman, a woman of means, um, and she had used that means to, to be a blessing uh, and to supply uh, the work and the ministry that Jesus was involved. Continuing in Luke, Luke, turn to Luke 23, starting at verse 50. Luke 23, starting at verse 50. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, those who cared for his body after he died on the cross. Look at Luke 23, verse 50. Are you there with me? Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to, the, to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been yet laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. So we see Joseph and we see his role in preparing Jesus' body but several women were also involved there. And it says, these are the women who followed. These were many of the women who had ministered to Jesus throughout his ministry, and they were following. They, they had looked from afar off at what was happening at the crucifixion. They were faithful in following Jesus. And after this crucifixion, they went with Joseph with spices to prepare the body. It doesn't end there. In, in Luke 24, verse 1, it says this, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now again, all the mention of they in this chapter and the previous one is of the women. And notice that they are not, they don't get a lot of mention. That's why I said they're, they're the quiet faithful. They're working kind of behind the scenes, oftentimes in, in, in tasks that, that, that aren't given a lot of accolades but they have done something significant. Verse 2, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they went. But when they went in, they did not find the body 
of the Lord Jesus. All right, and then skip down to verse 11, same chapter, Luke 24, 11. Excuse me, verse 10. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So they were involved after the crucifixion of Christ, after the resurrection of Christ, bringing the news to the apostles of what had happened. And then we see the, the apostles' a reaction to their words in verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. Go on to Acts chapter 1 as well. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, now the they there refers to the disciples who have followed Jesus. Jesus had just given uh, encouragement and instruction to them and Jesus had ascended into heaven right in their sight and now he was telling them to go back to Jerusalem I'll give you more instruction the Holy Spirit will be sent to you and you should go on and be witnesses of me okay so these are the ones that are referred to in verse 12 when it says they returned to Jerusalem verse 13 and when they had entered they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James, and Andrew. It lists all the men there, right? Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, here's the small mention, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Together with the women, it says. There were faithful followers who were oftentimes not a prominent part of the story that was told, but they were a prominent part of being faithful in, in following the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 4. And let's say this. Verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha was in a line of faithful women who have served and have used their means to give to the Lord and to support his work and his ministry. Praise God for the quiet faithfulness of those who don't often get a lot of attention, but their faithfulness does not go unnoticed by the Lord. Let me say this. Praise God for the faithfulness of those in this work, in this ministry. We have said in, in, in this work at Sweet Communion that we have a vision to build up godly men. And, and we are right to focus on, 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 on working on men because that's so crucial to the way, uh, the impact that they have in the homes and on society. We continue to do that. But what needs to be said as well is the place and the importance of of the ladies, the women that God has placed in his work and in his ministry. My encouragement would be to you to be faithful and continue to be faithful, knowing that God uses those efforts to continue his work and to allow his work to thrive and allow it to go on. Nympha was one who had opened her own home 
to believers so that the church could function and, and continue to function. Mary, John Mark's mother, was one as well who opened her home to believers there in Jerusalem that the church could function and continue to function. These are just a few examples of those who were used. So you notice Paul mentions them as well. He, he mentions Nympha as well. Now we go on. We should note in verse 16, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. That tells us a few things. We talked about the interaction of believers and how important that is to our growth, our sanctification. Here we see different churches or churches in different locations interacting with each other in a very positive way. He says to the church at Colossae, I want you to read your letter that I wrote to you and give it to the ones in Laodicea. And I want them to give their letter to you so you can read that as well. So there was a, a connection that Paul expected from believers. Praise God for, for that work and for that con connection. Um, that, that connection needs to continue. Um, you, you notice when you go to work, there's, there's other people that you interact with who you have come to know as believers. You want to encourage them in God's work and in God's ministry. Now, they don't have to come back to your church. They, God has them in a place. He wants them busy in that place. Uh, uh, and if that place is one that, that preaching and, and sending out the gospel, praise God for that. But your connection is, that it is true. It's one of having another believer, a brother or sister in Christ. It's not this building that counts. It's God's building, God's body that counts, and he is using that. And we see that we have a connection with those who trust in Christ, and, and, and we need to, to recognize that and, and, and see that flourish and see that be healthy in the way that God intends for it to be. All right, that, that point needed to be made there. It gets to verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. Very personal note to Archippus. We don't know what that work and that ministry is. We can see from Philemon uh, of what his connection was with, with Philemon. Um, uh, the, the church was going on in their house. He was probably Philemon's son. I don't know if that work had to do with uh, uh, the servant Onesimus and, and, and uh, the role that uh, uh, he would play uh, with Onesimus and how Paul was writing to him. I don't know. But Paul does write a personal note in a public letter um, and expecting that to be followed. See that you fulfill the ministry that you received from the Lord. And no can be um, taken by us as well. God has given you a responsibility and a burden. See that you fulfill that. See that you carry out what God has given you to do. Be faithful in doing that task that God has given you to do. I'm, I'm thankful for, um, for God's work. I'm thankful for, as I talk to individuals, you, you hear about um, them meeting with family members or them meeting with those who, who aren't saved and, and having roles in their lives. Saying, be, a, be faithful in that ministry, in that part that God has given you to do. 
I can't do what you do. I'm not you. You can't do what I do. You're not me. But God has given you a significant, important role to do what you do. Be faithful in it. Those, you know, you, you may be on Facebook. You may be emailing different people. You may be talking to people, interacting with people that I will never talk to or see. And God has a role for you. Be faithful in that work that he has given you. Let me close with that. Father, we thank you for your work in each one of us. We get to see the connection that we have with each other. How you use different women in Jesus' life and the life of the apostles there to supply their need and allow them to do what you wanted them to do. Thank you for the role that they play. We see the different ones who open their homes and allow the gospel to go, to go out. And it was probably a great sacrifice to them. But I thank you for that. We see those who worked faithfully in whatever occupation you've given them. In the case of Luke as a doctor, but he was faithful in giving out the word and faithful in supporting the work of the ministry. So we thank you for that. Pray that you would encourage your people to continue and to be faithful in serving you. To look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the power that he has to change hearts, knowing what his blood has accomplished, shedding his blood on the cross, and what that means for our life now and for our eternity, even for our past. Our sins are forgiven, and we are part of his kingdom, and we look forward to enjoying that kingdom. And so. May we feel with the thought of him in mind. Encourage our hearts in that way. In Jesus' name we pray.